This week, we're continuing on, like I said, our series, Unbreakable. And if you're new or you have missed a week, I just want to recap for you what we've done over the last four weeks. So week one, we started out by talking about Joseph. And we learned some stuff about him. He was loved by his father. He was blessed by God. He was highly favored. And at the ripe young age of 17, God's already giving him prophetic dreams about his future. In week two, we saw the bitterness and resentfulness of his brothers. They sought to kill him. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. All the while, Joseph remains faithful. In week three, we saw him sort of rise to success in Potiphar's house. He was sold as a slave. He gained trust. Next thing you know, he's serving this high-profile dude. But then things went off the track. He gets falsely accused of some pretty heinous stuff, finds himself out of favor, back in prison again. And then last week, we learned about how Joseph in prison God begins to speak to him and give him the ability to interpret dreams for other people. And we saw that he interpreted two dreams correctly. And for one guy, the interpretation came true and it was good. For the other guy, it came true and it was definitely not good. But Joseph heard correctly. He's hearing the voice of God, but he's still in prison. And so today we're going to get into Genesis chapter 41. And we're seeing here where Joseph, he's been in jail for at least two years. And it appears he's hit a dead end. He's been betrayed. He's been sold into slavery not once but twice. He's thrown into prison where he is now. And then he's forgotten by a fellow inmate along the way. And so Joseph's sitting in jail. And he has to be asking himself, like, why did this happen to me? You know what I'm saying? Why me? Why me, Lord? Why me? All I've done is be faithful to you. Why me? It seemed like his whole life up to this point is like two steps forward, three steps back. When is it ever going to change? But how many know God knows what he's doing even when we have no clue? Even though we have no clue, he's never clueless. I love that about God. He's not unaware. He is absolutely aware. And so today we're gonna get get into Genesis 41. We're gonna see some remarkable ways that God moves. Now, Genesis 41 is 57 verses. I'm gonna read a lot of them for you. I'm not gonna read all of them for you. But if I could summarize the whole chapter in about four words, it would be about dreams, interpretations, plans, and promotion. At the end of this, we're gonna see how Joseph goes from a prison to a palace. But first, we have to understand how he got there. And we're going to dig into Genesis 41 and look at seven signs of God's sovereignty in Genesis 41. I'm going to read a good chunk of this scripture to get started. And so if you would, would you just stand to your feet and as we honor God's word together, you can read along on the screen and I will read it out loud for you. Beginning in verse one, it says this, after two years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. Verse 5, he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and ripe, came up. On one stalk, and after them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump, ripe ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled, so he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put 
me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew slave of the captain of the guards was with us there and we told him our dreams and he interpreted our dreams for us and each had its own interpretation and it turned out just the way he interpreted them, interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. That's the word of the Lord and you may be seated. Seven signs of God's sovereignty in the life of Joseph. God is moving. God is moving. Not everyone knows it, but he is. The first sign we see here is this, that God gave Pharaoh two dreams. God gave the dreams. Anybody ever had a crazy dream in your life? Let me just see your hand. I, just, I have a lot of them. I just want to see exactly how crazy I am. Okay, yeah. Most of us have had some crazy dreams. And listen, sometimes those crazy dreams are because you ate bad pizza. Especially if you put olives on them because those are like little terrorists that ruin the rest of the pizza. And, and, and maybe you like how they taste, but then you have a wild dream. And you're, I'm here to tell you the truth is that those olives are giving you the bad pizza dreams. Come on, somebody. But sometimes those dreams are actually from the Lord. It's true, Craig, from the Lord. No matter how crazy they may seem, no matter how hard they may be to understand, just this week on Thursday night in our leading change class, a, a guy in our group was sharing a dream. He felt like God had given him. And as he's telling us, we're all sitting there going like, yes, that was God. <laughs> and he's in the midst of your situation and he's walking with you. And this is his way of showing you what is going on. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to know that God still speaks to us today. And he does so sometimes through dreams. Leading back to Pharaoh's dream. Just summarize this a little bit. In his first dream, he had seven fat cows coming out of the Nile River. And then they were eaten by seven skinny cows. Did anybody see that coming? I did not. I was expecting the other way around. The fat cows to eat the skinny cows. That would have made a lot more sense. Or maybe just the cows to come and eat the grain. But no, these things are separated. They're in two different dreams. So Pharaoh wakes up. He's like, man, that was weird. I just saw skinny cows eating fat cows. Never saw it coming, but it just happened. Then he went back to sleep. Good for him. But when he goes back to sleep, he has a second dream. Now it's the stalks growing up. And it's the withered, skinny stalks that are eating the plump ones. And he's like, I don't understand. All this skinny stuff consuming all this fat stuff is weird to me. I don't know what to do with it. He's troubled, he's troubled. And so now, old troubled Pharaoh needs some help. And he's calling for help, so he calls up. He's like, I need all of my magicians, I need all my wise men, I need all my super spiritual people to come over here and somebody tell me what this dream actually means. And right here, I just wanna point out, do you see how quick and easy it is for God Almighty to disrupt even the most powerful person in the world. All it took was a couple of dreams and he's going, what's happening? He's seeking help, I need somebody to explain this to me. And yet Pharaoh, the mightiest man on earth was helpless to even understand his own dreams. No idea what this meant. Right there is a lesson for us that money, power, success, those may gain you many things in the world but they gain you nothing in the spirit. Nothing, nothing. You cannot buy revelation. You cannot buy impartation from God. Success can only get you so much and the only thing it can get you is natural. So Pharaoh's stumped. Magicians can't figure it out. Small crisis, just a little crisis of a few dreams and now the futility of his own 
preeminence is exposed. He needs some help. A small situation, just a little dream, has now become a very big deal because all these people who are supposed to figure it out for him have no clue. I wonder if you have ever had something happen that was kind of a small thing, and then as time went on, it turned into a bigger thing. Oh, this small thing got big. No, no, no. Usually, it's already a big thing. You just thought it was a small thing because you couldn't see clearly. That's the way that this stuff works. And in moments like this, like Pharaoh, we find ourselves looking outside of ourselves because we can't figure it out. The small things have become big. And here's what I want to say to you. The reason he couldn't figure it out is because things that come from God require God to understand. You and I are not smart enough. I know a lot of y'all are smart. Many of you smarter than me, dare I say most of you. But you're not that smart to figure out the mind of God. Who can know it? So when God is giving something from the divine, it takes, it takes something from the divine to understand it. Even as a pastor here, I pray every week when I come to this point of the week and I'm getting ready to deliver the message, I have a constant drumbeat prayer for every single one of you. And here's how it goes. God, give them revelation from heaven, not information from me. Even if what I'm getting is from the Bible, I can only convey so much. I'm just not that smart of a dude. I'm not that wise. I'm trying to give you something that came from heaven and I'm asking heaven to turn that in to revelation for your life. Even today, I prayed that this morning, sitting at my desk, praying over this and praying for each of you. So to the one who has ears, let him hear. All right, let's keep going. Number two, the next act in the sovereignty of God is that we see here the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Now, how many know? I mean, you know, the cupbearer is kind of an easy target, right? Because we've all had that person before that we're like, okay, dude, I'm going to do this for you. Now, please don't forget about me when you have the chance to do something for me. And then they move on and they forgot all about me, right? This happens to all of us. People are forgetful. They promise to do things and they don't do it. We belabored this and talked about it last week. But it's easy to kind of pick on the cupbearer for this when we see this because we all, like Joseph, would have preferred for the cupbearer to remember, for someone else to remember us. But, but, let's think about this, because I think even God's providence is at work in the cupbearer's forgetfulness. I mean, go with me for a second. What would have happened? Let's just play this out. I like to play it out. What would have happened if the cupbearer went to Pharaoh the day he got out of prison? Hey, Pharaoh, hey, man, thanks for letting me back in the house. Thanks for letting me back in good graces. By the way, I knew it was going to happen anyway because there was this Hebrew slave, and I had a dream, and he told me that this was going to happen, and then it happened. And he's, can you imagine Pharaoh's like, I'm sorry, what? Somebody in prison knew about my plans? Who's been talking? I got a council. We had a closed-door meeting. Y'all weren't supposed to say nothing about my plans, about the cupbearer and about the baker. Did somebody tell him he was going to get hanged? Oh, yeah, the same guy in prison told him. Who knew that was going to happen? Pharaoh could be freaking out, killing people over this. Am I wrong? Maybe, maybe best-case scenario, Pharaoh's like, really? A dream interpreter? <sighs> Give him to the magicians. Let's, let's test him and see what he's got. Y'all come back and holler at me later. Let me know how it goes. Or maybe he just dismissed them all together. I do not believe for a second that had the cupbearer gone straight to Pharaoh on Joseph's behalf that we would get what we're getting now. How many know there can be a good idea at the wrong time, which makes it a bad idea? It can be a good idea with the wrong people, makes it a bad idea. Happens in business all the time. People come up with business ideas, and it's a good one. You're like, 
dude, you're going to make a lot of money. That's a great idea. And then it just fizzles out. Why? Usually wrong time or wrong people. Sometimes both. God knows the timing, though. So in his sovereignty, he's creating opportunities at the right time for people to do the right thing, to see a right outcome. So here we see God is working. It's not early. He ain't on Tom Landry's time. God bless him. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Everybody knows that. But that's not how God works. He's like, no, I don't think so. And by the way, even what you think on time, I'm the creator of time, and I stand outside of it. So I'll show up when I feel like it. And we always think he's late. We always think God's late. But here at the right time, God jogged his memory. And he remembered Joseph. Right place, right time. And this coincidence becomes a crucial link in the chain of events of God's plans in Joseph's life. Two years earlier, he's in prison. Now, here he is. His name's being mentioned before the king of all of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. And his faithfulness is about to be rewarded in an amazing way. Let's look at number three, how God uses Joseph to interpret the dreams. I wanna read for you. Let's go to verse 14 and 15. If you're keeping up with your Bible or you can just look on the screen above. By the way, I'd love for you to bring your Bible. I love people reading their Bible, but I know I move really fast. So we'll give it to you on the screen. So we're not doing sword drills in here every time we try to turn to a new passage. But let's read this together wherever you're looking. It says this. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He's like, praise the Lord, get me out of the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. So they get Joseph out of prison, they take him over to the mall, get to men's warehouse, pick out a new suit, gotta go see you know, a good hairstylist, get that beard looking good like, like Raya's, you know, trim it up, looking good. Yours looks pretty good, Craig. We got some powerful beards in this house, I don't know. Gets it all trimmed up, gets the new suit, comes back in. He's probably feeling strong now, like, oh. But then he remembers, I'm just a Hebrew slave, and I'm about to stand before the Pharaoh of all of Egypt. He gets brought in. 24 hours earlier, he's in prison. No one, including Joseph, could have possibly imagined where he would be only 24 hours later. And yet, here he is. And it begs this question that you should also ask yourself about things that happen in your life. Who but God could do this? Who but God could do this? Who could get this Hebrew slave out of prison into the palace ready to interpret a dream for Pharaoh? Who but God? Some of you who are in a pretty good place in your life, you should ask your question, who but God? Oh, I know you got the degree. I know you worked hard. I know you invested well. I know you put yourself out on a limb. I don't care. Who but God? Who but God? And here he is. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I got this dream and nobody can interpret it. Now, I want you to look at how Joseph responds to Pharaoh. Verse 16, Joseph says, first words out of his mouth, I'm not able to. Wait a minute. Hold on. We brought him out of prison. I just bought him a new suit, got him a new haircut, brought him over here, got some good food spread out, because y'all told me that he, Joseph has to know, has to know that if he says I'm not able to, those could be the last words that ever come out of his mouth. Thankfully, the Bible gives us no record that Pharaoh interrupted him and he was able to keep speaking. So he says, I'm not able to, he answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable 
answer. And I love this so much because Joseph is in this place where he's now got this special ability greater than all the other wise men and magicians. And he could have said, oh yes, Pharaoh, I've been waiting for two years for this sorry cupbearer you have to tell you about me. And now here I am ready to solve your mysteries. But he doesn't do it. I can't do it, he says. But God can. Goes on in verses 17 through 32 to say that he then interpreted the dreams and it was a good news, bad news proposition. He's telling Pharaoh, okay, here's the deal. You have seven really good years. You have a lot of rain. Crops are gonna do well. We're gonna have some good fertilizer. Everything's gonna grow. Everybody's gonna get fat and happy. But then there's a problem. There's a problem. After seven years of plenty is gonna come seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are gonna be far worse than the seven years of prosperity were good. You got a problem on your hands. And then Joseph adds this, verse 32. Oh, by the way, the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams, like having the same dream twice, basically, means that the thing is fixed by God. In other words, God's doing this. And God will shortly bring it about. He's telling the king, it wasn't those nasty olives that you ate. It was God who has given you this dream, and he has fixed the circumstances that are about to occur. He's taking this seriously. You should, too. You should too. But God is moving. And now through Joseph, God provides a solution to the people. Let's look at it, verse 33 to 38. Here's what it says. So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and then take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority... Store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be as a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. And the country will not be wiped out by famine. How many know that was good news to Pharaoh? We don't have to be wiped out by this bad thing that's coming. But Joseph's being real clear here. Hey, God fixed this. God's interpreting it. You want this to go that way? You gotta do it God's way. And now Pharaoh, he's sitting here and he's like, okay, this sounds simple, but I do have a problem. I don't have a person. Pharaoh needed somebody, which sounds pretty easy. He needed somebody that was like a gifted administrator, figure some stuff out, good leader, got to lead a few other people. It's getting a little more tricky. He needs somebody that's loyal. I mean, that's hard to find. He needs somebody who's honest in all of his dealings. Because listen, you start taking one-fifth of everything grown in Egypt and you start putting it in all these different cities, there's an opportunity for some folks to start lying in their pockets. I think I'll have a little bit of that for me. I heard they're doing this and something bad's coming. I'm gonna make sure I got me and mine taken care of first. Pharaoh's gotta find somebody of great character. But he also needed, he also needed, and I think he started to get a hint of this after all of this went down. He needed someone who had revelation, as I pray for you, not just information about what's gonna happen. How many know you can know about something and not have a clue what to do with it? I listened to a guy last night explain in great detail how a hammered dulcimer is made and how it's played, and he cannot play it at all, not even a little bit. And if he tried, you would run, holding your ears. It would be that bad. You can understand something, but not know what to do with it. 
So Pharaoh needed, he needed a man. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, had been crippled by a dream. And now he knows, okay, there's, a, there's a somebody bigger and more powerful than me that put this stuff into my head while I was just trying to have a good night's sleep. And then he told this Hebrew slave over here what was going on and what was gonna happen. And now I think he's kind of going, I think maybe I need someone who's connected to that to help me with this. Who on earth could do this? The plan that was about to unfold wasn't part of the dream. The plan was a part of Joseph himself. God sovereignly built Joseph up and put him in a position where now the person that Pharaoh needed is standing right before his eyes. And in the midst of all this, we start to clearly see number five, that God divinely positions Joseph to lead. Let me read for you verse 37 to 40. It says this, The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Oh yeah, sounds good, sounds good. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him. Look at this, a pagan Pharaoh. I need somebody who has God's spirit because all y'all apparently don't have it. He's right about that. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and as wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Not surprising, Pharaoh recognized that Joseph was the man he needed, but not because of who Joseph was, but who Joseph knew and who Joseph was connected to. Try your hardest. Friend, I love you. You're nothing without God. Nothing. Who but God can make a miracle out of your mess? Who but God could rescue all the people of Egypt. So now Joseph, Pharaoh brings him in. He says, all right, let's give Joseph a signet ring. I can't read all these verses for you, so many of them, but he gives him a signet ring. That's like the king giving Joseph his credit card. There's no limit on this. It's like the black card, but better. Do whatever you need to do. Buy whatever you need to buy. He gives Joseph some linen clothing, which in that time was a sign of honor. For me, it's like something that frustrates me because it gets wrinkled too easy. But Joseph, he got to wear the linen And it was a sign of great honor. He also put a gold chain around his neck, which was another symbol of authority. And he gave him a chariot. You know how people had chariots? Not very many. He had a chariot so he could go where he needed to go and do what he needed to do. And perhaps because Pharaoh was even smarter than he knew he was, he also gave Joseph a wife. And many people and scholars have wondered, why did he give him a wife? I think it's pretty simple. First of all, the Bible says, who finds a wife finds a good thing. And all the men said, amen. But also, if Joseph's got a good wife at home with him as his helper and his partner, when he's not at home, he's gonna be about Pharaoh's business instead of his own business. Come on, somebody, he's pretty smart. Give the man a wife. Let's get that taken care of so he can pay attention to all this other stuff. He gave him authority second only to his own. Joseph, everyone on the other side of you reports to you. Only I have autonomy from your authority. That's what Pharaoh tells him. Come on, this is some serious favor. And all of this happened when he was 30 years old. Joseph was 30 years old. And right now, some of you who are older than 30 are like, Pharaoh was crazy. You don't give all of that to a 30-year-old. And maybe he was. But there was somebody else who gave it all to a 30-year-old. Some years later, a man by the name of Jesus from the town of Nazareth would reach 30 years old. And his father would speak with an audible voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, which was a Hebrew blessing and commissioning. You are a man, you go 
and do the work of the family. If you weren't here in week one, you should go listen to the podcast. There are so many similarities between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. And here we see this 30-year-old man, same age Jesus would be when he entered into ministry and began to do great things and miracles. We see Joseph set in as the prime minister of Egypt. And here's the question. How much of all of this did Joseph see in advance? I think it's like next to nothing. I mean, he had some dreams. He knew some stuff was coming, but he had no idea how all this would unfold or what it would look like. I don't think he had it figured out. He hadn't interpreted that one yet. Next question. How much of this do you think happened by chance? Oh, just coincidence. Again, I say, probably next to nothing because God was in the middle of it, which is the answer to the other question we should always be asking, who's behind this? And the answer here is God was. God was behind all of this. God was behind all of this. And let me just say here for a second, God is sovereign. You know what that means? He's going to accomplish his purposes no matter what. And I don't have time to go down and try to solve the great theological conundrum about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Here's what I know. God's moving. God's working. He's going to do what he's going to do. And he puts people in situations and then gives them free will to say, yeah, I'll do it. And I think if you say no, he's got somebody else. I don't think you're a pawn on a chessboard that he's just constantly moving all around. But I do think he has a will, a plan, a purpose for your life. And the best thing you can do is what Jesus said. Not my will, but your will be done. And you do what the Father is doing. You do his business, not yours. You do his work, not your own. You ask for his mind instead of yours. You ask for his heart instead of yours. And you find yourself at the right place at the right time with the right opportunity to do the righteous thing according to the God who is always right. God does something else for Joseph. Number six, as I get ready to wind this down, we're just coming in. Just tray tables down, buckle your seatbelts. We'll be there in a few minutes. God gives Joseph a family Now, you have to remember what he came from to understand how profound this must have been for him. The one I had tried to kill me. I mean, I know my dad loved me. I don't think anybody else did. They tried to kill me. They sold me into slavery. And now, let's look, verses 50 to 52. It says this. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of the famine arrived. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, who was a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. And the second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Even though Joseph has come a long way from where he started, he brings back these two boys, and he brings his Hebrew names, and he names them according, not to where they are now, but to where they came from. Hebrew names. Even though he's living in Egypt, he's married to an Egyptian woman who's a daughter of a pagan priest. God gives him two sons, and he names them to remind them of their heritage. And then I think about what these names mean for a second. Like he's caused me to forget all of my hardships In my father's house, I know it's not easy, but this is a mark of spiritual maturity to be able to say, I didn't forget, I didn't forget what they did, but I forgot how it felt. It sort of brings to mind the future echoes 
of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, when he would say, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And it's as if Joseph is saying, where, O oh, sold into a pit, is your victory? Where, O oh, sold into slavery, is your sting? Where, O oh, false accusations, have you hurt me in the end? Where, O oh, time in prison, have you destroyed me? None of it. And I will name my son, a Hebrew name according to my God, Yahweh, that reminds me that he has caused me to forget the pain of what I have walked through. I know it sounds crazy, but oh, our God is crazy good. And if he did it for Joseph, he can do it for you. And then the other one, Ephraim. He says, I've been fruitful in the land of my affliction. By the very name that he gives his child, he says, you know what? This place has been a place of affliction for me. It's been pretty rough. And yet, because of God, I have also been fruitful. And every time he calls his son, Ephraim, it's time for dinner. He's reminding himself, in the land of my affliction, my God has been faithful to me. Every time he sees his son, oh, things were hard, but my God has been faithful and caused fruitfulness to come from my life. And right here, I wanna just show you quickly, promise, three stages of spiritual growth that we can learn from this. Number one, number one, I can't go back. There are times in your life where somehow, by the sovereign hand of God or by the crazy decisions of people, but you get, you're from one place, you were there, and now you're here. And there, there was problems. Things were not good but you can't go back. And sometimes you go, you go, you're like, man, things are really bad here, so I'm gonna go over here. Then you go over here and you're like, gosh, this is bad too. Actually, I don't think it was so bad over there. Maybe I'm gonna go back over there because I know what it's like over there and it's comfortable over there because at least I know what it's gonna be like. And now right here, it's all unknown and I'm not sure. And here's what I have to say about that. Number two, also, you can't stay here. Where you're at right now in your journey with God is not the destination. You wanna know how I know? Because you're sitting here breathing right now, which means God's not done with you. He has a wonderful plan for your life and it involves something else that you haven't experienced yet. So you can't go back, but you also can't stay where you are. Number three, you must go forward. I know that there were problems there and maybe you've escaped them. Come on, California refugees, you get a little comfortable here for just a minute. Thank God I left the People's Republic of California, found promised land of Texas. But how many know some of you got here and you're like, whoa, they got some issues too. This maybe isn't all that I thought it was gonna be. But God is saying, hey, I brought you here, not for here, but for a very important four-letter word. You, know when, you wanna know what the most powerful four-letter word is that you can ever say? It's not work. That's a pretty powerful one, by the way. God made you to work. The most powerful four-letter word in the lexicon of a believer. You with me? Is this, next. Next. What next, God? I know that happened. Next. I know the plans that I have for you. Next, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Next. Plans to give you a hope. Next. Plans to give you a future. Next. Jesus came. He's living. Okay, what next? Next. 
Next, go stand in the River Jordan and be baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Next, go to the desert. You're being tempted by the devil for 40 days. Next, that's over. Now let's go perform miracles and declare to everyone all around that I am sovereign, that I have power. Jesus, that I am, I've come from heaven. If you've seen me, you've seen him. What, what else? Next, they're gonna abuse you. They're gonna betray you. They're gonna hang your body on a tree. He's hanging on the tree. What happens? Next, they put him into a tomb. They put his dead, breathless body into a tomb. And while he's laying there, I just have to believe somewhere he's talking to the father and they're discussing the situation. And the father says, next, walk out of the grave. You are now raised to life again. He walks and steps out of that grave, but it's not over yet. Next, he he comes across two women and says, go tell everybody that I was dead, but now I'm alive. Next, he meets with his disciples. Go and tell everybody else. I've come once, but I'm coming again. And let me tell you, friends, right now, you may be sitting here today. Maybe you're in debt, maybe you're discouraged, maybe your relationship is broken, or maybe everything is just fine and dandy, but I have something to tell you. Next is on the way. Jesus is coming back again. He will restore everything that's broken. He will remake the world again, and what you see now that makes your head spin and your heart hurt and makes you stay up at night wondering what kind of world you're leaving to your children, you're leaving them a world where they can make a difference because they are next, and then he will be next, and someday we will all be raised to life, renewed by the Spirit of God, living in a world where there's no more sin, no more confusion, no more sickness. Jesus is king. Friends, that is what is next. We see it in the life of Joseph. In closing number seven, the dream is coming to pass. It's all unfolding according to God's plans. They begin to do it. They put one-fifth of the grain, start to store everything up. The good years come and then the bad years come and then something else is coming. God is still not done. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't just to get the grain in the warehouses. God has something even bigger coming. You think this story's been dramatic so far? Just wait till what's next. Back in Canaan, he's got brothers that think he's dead. But they're in hard times too and they're about to come knocking and the stage is set. The drama is unfolding. His brothers who think he's dead are in for the shock of their lives. I wanna encourage you to stay tuned, come back next week as we continue on in the story of Joseph. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for your word that doesn't return void. I thank you, God, that we can look behind us so that we can look ahead. We can see what you've done and know that your faithfulness in the past will bring us peace in our presence and give us even more faith for our future. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of next, that you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, you have not abandoned us, that we are yours, that you have died for us, that you were raised to life again for us, and that there is a next for us, no matter how stuck we may feel in wherever we are right now. Lord, I pray this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would give every single person in this room ears to hear, a heart ready to receive, and the courage to follow wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. 
You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.